Hello, fellow followers of Christ, and welcome to the show that introduces you to the men and women behind history's greatest works of literature. Come along every week as we explore these renowned authors, the times and genre in which they wrote, why scholars praise their writing, and how we as Catholics should read and understand their works. I'm Joseph Pierce, and this is The Authority. Hello, I'm Joseph Pierce, and welcome to this episode of The Authority. And the authority that we're going to be looking at this week is Oscar Wilde, one of the most controversial characters in English literature. Um, and um, we'll have a look at what it is that Oscar Wilde can show us or teach us. Um, who was he? Uh, that would that that question is asked uh, but answered in very very different ways. Was he, for instance, as he's sometimes seen as a, a gay icon, as a a martyr for the homosexual lifestyle, um, or should we should we dis treat him as a as a, a pariah for his decadent lifestyle and 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 the way that he. Uh, preached if, if you like a sort of moral iconoclasm well what lessons in other words can be learned from him well i encapsulate this in the preface uh, i wrote a biography of oscar wilde called the unmasking of oscar wilde and in the preface i set up um the two extremes uh, uh, in people's attitude to, towards oscar wilde and then we will in the remainder of the program look at the way we should be looking at him so the problem um, stems from an inability to see Wilde except through the lens of either Puritan or Prurient motives. The Prurient see Wilde as a subversive hero who undermines traditional values. For this school of thought, his value is not primarily in his art, but in the licentious life, encapsulated in the lurid title of Melissa Knox's study as Wilde's long and lovely suicide. Against the prurient is counterpoised the Puritan, who believes that Wilde's work lacks value because of his immoral life. The prurient and the Puritan are both blinded by their bias. To one, Wilde is a war cry. To the other, he is a warning. One betrays him with a kiss, the other with a curse. It is a choice between Judas and the Pharisee. We are all in the gutter, says Lord Darlington in Wilde's play, Lady Windermere's Fan. But some of us are looking at the stars. To look for Wilde in the gutter, whether to wallow with him in the mire, or to point the finger of self-righteous scorn, is to miss the point. Those wishing a deeper understanding of this most enigmatic of men should not look at him in the gutter, but with him at the stars. All right, so the first thing we have to realize about Oscar Wilde before we, before we, we, we go into it is how he ended. Oscar Wilde was received into the Catholic Church on his deathbed in 1900, and for all of his... Uh, mistakes in life and his uh, immoral decisions and his betrayals of loved ones that immoral, immoral decisions invariably lead to uh, the 
his reception of the Catholic Church uh, on his deathbed was was the consummation of a lifelong love affair. Now, admittedly, he wasn't a very faithful lover on occasions, but it was not something that came out of the blue. It's something that got his attraction to Catholicism went right back to his undergraduate days. Um, so if we want to understand Oscar Wilde, uh, we need to try to get beyond the masks. That's why my book's called The Unmasking of Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde self-consciously wore masks to conceal himself, conceal himself sometimes to reveal himself. But if we want to get beyond those, the best way of doing it is to find uh, what Wilde wrote when he was in prison. Uh, and um, uh, during his prison sentence, uh, he wrote uh, a long letter to Lord Alfred Douglas, who was the uh, the the friend with whom he had the homosexual relationship. Uh, well, let's let's get that out of the way first to make sure we know what we're talking about here. Um, that it's often said that Oscar Wilde was was, was sent to prisons, hounded down, and sent to prison because uh, he of his uh, homosexual practices. Um, that was not why he went to prison. What exactly happened was that Lord Alfred Douglas's father, the Marquis of Queensbury, who was a somewhat um, uh, pugilistic character, uh, which shouldn't surprise us because the, what, the rules of boxing, the Marquis of Queensbury rules, are named after him. He left a note in Oscar Wilde's club uh, saying to Oscar Wilde posing as a sodomite, and at the behest of Lord Alfred Douglas, who despised his father, hated his father, he that Lord Alfred Douglas persuaded Oscar Wilde to uh, sue his father for libel. Uh, and in in order to defend himself, the Marcus Queensbury hired private detectives, um, private investigators. And they found ample evidence that Wilde was not just posing, but was practicing. Now, because uh, no, nobody was um, hunting down homosexuals in Victorian England, but it was homosexual practice was against the law. So now, because of the stupidity of bringing that libel case, there's all this evidence of illegal activity that's been brought before the court, leaving the the uh, the the crown, leaving the the government with no choice but to pursue a criminal investigation. Wilde lied from the jury box, and even um, minor things such as such as his age, which meant he lost all credibility in the eyes of the jury. There was only going to be one outcome, and that was a prison sentence. He spent two years in prison, from 1895 to 1897. While he was in prison, he wrote a long and, for the most part, angry letter to Lord Alfred Douglas, basically saying that uh, Lord Alfred Douglas had uh, brought him down to uh, to betray his true loves to pursue basically a sordid um prideful lifestyle and lord alfred douglas's own ego and narcissism was the problem of course wild should perhaps have looked a bit more a bit more hardly a bit more honestly earnestly at himself but what you find in this 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 manuscript they is published after he after he came out of prison as De Profundis, uh, from one of the penitential psalms, from Out of the Depths. Um, but they expunged from it, they took out all references to the relationship with Lord Alfred Douglas and just kept the musings on art and, 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 and religion. Uh, 
and but when you read the whole thing and i was blessed to do that i went to the british library and got the uh, access to the original handwritten manuscript and it's very interesting when wald is writing about the beauty of uh, Christianity, the beauty of the Catholic Church, or the beauty of Renaissance art, um, about beauty in general and truth in general. His handwriting is very neat and tidy. And then when he thinks about Lord Alfred Douglas and where that that lifestyle had led, he gets angry and his writing becomes much much uh, larger. So, ironically, that. The religious dimension of De Profundis has largely been ignored now and left out, and only the the, the, the sort of sordid aspects of it are, are are spoken about. But what's interesting about Oscar Wilde, and it's it's um, something which we can't avoid, is he described his homosexuality as his pathology, as his sickness, and it's ironic. Um, that he's held up as a, as, as, a, as a warrior for that lifestyle, that uh, in many countries now, he would actually be charged with a hate crime for saying that, for being homophobic. So there's all sorts of ironies going on here. Um, so what, what is it about Oscar Wilde that leads ultimately through the gutter where he keeps somehow to keep looking at the stars, um, that he should be received into the, the, the Catholic Church on his deathbed. Well, first of all, there's no doubt at all about the authenticity of um, of Wald's conversion. Uh, the only one of his uh, friends that was there uh, in his final days and hours was Robert Ross. And it's Robert Ross at Wald's request that got the priest, a uh, priest that neither of them knew before, Father Cuthbert Dunn, uh, to come and um, administer the last rites and receive Wald into the church. And both Robert Ross and Father Cuthbert Dunn never met each other again after this evening. And they both independently, decades later, wrote their accounts of what happened and they can form a dovetail. So there's no doubt at all about that it happened, as they say. So where are the roots of this? We have to go right back to Wilde's undergraduate days, Trinity College, Dublin. Um, and Wilde, as an undergraduate, falls under the influence of John Henry Newman, St. John Henry Newman. And again, you can watch uh, another episode of The Authority on Newman to find out more about his importance. Uh, and also he had many friends who were priests at Trinity College, Dublin, um, and his father, who was very anti-Catholic, Oscar Wilde's father, in order to save him from the clutches of these Catholics, uh, removes him from Trinity College Dublin and places him in Oxford. Now, if his father knew anything about what was happening in Oxford at that time, he would know that he was removing his son from the Catholic frying pan and placing him in the Catholic fire because uh, Oxford was aflame with Catholicism and many converts amongst the uh, 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 amongst the undergraduates. This was the afterglow of the Newman effect in Oxford. The Oxford movement that Newman led, the Oxford, that Newman's uh, conversion in Oxford. We, 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 in a previous episode of The Authority, we looked at how Newman received the poet Jeremy Hopkins in Oxford. Um, so this was a uh, wild went from 
from one hotbed of Catholicism to another hotbed of Catholicism. And once again, he started to attend Mass during uh, his time as an undergraduate at Magdalen College, um, uh, Oxford, which are looking for connections. That's the college at which C.S. Lewis would teach for many years. Uh, this was obviously uh, several decades later. What was very interesting uh, at what was happening in uh, uh, Oxford at the time when Wald was there as an undergraduate uh, in the um, 1870s was um, that there were two giants in this field in the field of uh, aesthetics. In other words, the, the the philosophy of beauty, shall we say, John Ruskin uh, and Walter Pater, and they were sort of civil war going on between the two and people chose what side they, they they believed in so john ruskin for want of a better word was the conservative voice and he uh taught for instance about the renaissance how the renaissance uh they, they're both art historians amongst other things how the renaissance w decayed from being a, a christian thing at the beginning to becoming this neoclassicist neo-pagan movement by the end of the renaissance and he he, he likened it to uh that venice changed from being uh, a medieval virgin to being a renaissance venus um and this of course is a, a fall and it's an erotic fall in fact right uh, venus's son is eros where we get the word erotic uh, the, Venus is where we get adjectives such as venereal. So this sort of uh, erotic, lustful type love that we, we got rid of the, the, the Blessed Virgin and replaced it with this uh, different sort of love. And this was for Ruskin, Ruskin uh, evidence of a decadence, a decay, a fall. Walter Pater, his rival, uh, a younger man, uh, agreed with that critique, that analysis, except that he said that it was a, that the decay was a good thing that it liberated uh art from the constraints of uh, of religion uh, and allowed it to explore um new things including the erotic what's interesting is that that wild studied both uh admired both but in this civil war, he came down decidedly on the side of Ruskin. He was a disciple of John Ruskin, even if he even if he was fascinated by Walter Pater. Um, he would later say that some of Pater's ideas had poisoned him. So he was influenced by them in a negative sense. But he knew that his better side, uh, the more virtuous side, should be and, and did agree with Ruskin. And this is the other thing you have to understand about Oscar Wilde is he's at war with himself. His, uh, his, his better and worse self. Alexander Solzhenitsyn famously said, the battle between good and evil takes place in each individual human heart. Well, this battle takes place in all of our hearts. It was certainly taking place in the, in the heart of Oscar Wilde. And this war between Ruskin and Pater was that between the battle between good and evil in um, uh, Oscar Wilde's uh, heart and mind. But where he stood as an undergraduate was interesting because... Um, at the time, there were sort of two, should we say, strands or flows of, of Catholicism. Uh, there was uh, the more liberal uh, view and the more, should we say, hardline view. Uh, and the liberal view um, uh, sort of, it sort of, 
so so the the liberal view was that that the, the church in, in England, especially in this obviously where Wild is, uh, Oxford, should sort of go with the flow of the times, uh, and should distance itself from the Pope. Uh, the Pope at the time was Pio Nono, uh, Pius the Ninth, a very defiant Pope, who uh, following the unif reunification of Italy in 1870 became a prisoner of the Vatican. Um, is basically uh, living as a prisoner within within the Vatican, within a hostile Italian government uh, surrounding him, but very defiant, very uh, holy, very devout, very orthodox. And those who followed um, the Pope in his defiance and, and, and unwillingness to compromise with secularism were known as the ultramontanes. So the ultra ma 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 montane means beyond the mountains, so beyond the Alps. So those who took their lead from Rome, as opposed to the Cisalpines, uh, those who were this side of the Alps, who were trying to create some sort of distance between themselves and Pius the Ninth. Uh, the leader of the ultra montanes of the, uh, for the one of the better word, the conservative pro-Pope uh, uh, party, if you want to put it that way, uh, in the church, Catholic Church in England, was Cardinal Manning. So it's interesting, who does um, Oscar Wilde choose to have portraits of on the walls of, on the wall of his uh, rooms as a student in Oxford? He has on his wall Pope Pius IX and Cardinal Manning. So he's not just, uh, he hasn't become a Catholic, but he's going to Mass regularly. He has uh, many Catholic friends. Uh, many other friends who convert into Catholicism. Um, he is on the side of the ultramontanes, right, the pro-papal party. So in 1878, he visits Father Bowden at the London Oratory, the Brompton Oratory in Kensington. Uh, and uh, again, the oratory movement were introduced to England by St. John Henry Newman. Wilde always remained uh, very devoted uh, to to Newman, Newman's writing, Newman's spirituality. So he visited Father Bowden, and he's an interesting priest in his own right, but we, uh, I'm not going to go off on that tangent. And they had a long talk. Um, and Father Bowden's letter, which if I had time I would read, shows great psychological insight, basically saying that Wilde is allowing himself to be led by his weaker nature, uh, and this is leading him into bad uh, habits, lifestyles uh, and that the only answer was Christ was conversion and they make another appointment and wild and instead of showing up sends uh, um, father um, Bowden uh, uh, a bouquet of flowers by way of an apology he got cold feet not for the first or last time I think that wild knew um, that uh, that uh, um, taking up this cross of conversion would mean a change of life, but it'd be more than that. It'd mean major sacrifice because his father was so hostile that his father actually made it clear that should Wilde convert, he would be disinherited. So Wilde also had to make the choice. Does he follow his conscience and convictions or does he follow the path of least resistance and look after his uh, financial interests and creature comforts. Um, that's the choice. Uh, he chose the latter, and the rest would become history.
Should talk about uh, he, his first um, love affair. There's no suggestion, by the way, of Wilde indulging in any homosexuality at any of this stage. Um, this comes later. But his first love affair is with a woman called Florence Balcom, and they seem to be very serious, maybe talking about marriage. But Wilde, um, again, not for the first time, neglects responsibilities, does not... Um, uh, make himself available in the relationship. He just dis dis disappears for long periods of time. Um, so he's certainly very much in love with her, but not prepared to 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 um, live uh, responsibly in accordance with that love. So in his absence, he discovers to his horror that um, that she's become engaged to, to another man and would subsequently marry, subsequently marry that other man. He's heartbroken. In actual fact, some of the most moving and uh, uh, real, as in revealing, uh, poetry that Wilde ever wrote was the, the, the poetry he wrote when he was heartbroken uh, following the breakup of his relationship with Florence Balcom. In my book, uh, there's a chapter on it. I'm going to call it his Florentine verse because it's obviously inspired by Florence. Um What's interesting from a, a literary perspective is the man who Florence Balcom will marry was Bram Stoker, who was the author of Dracula, um, and it worked in the theater, and Florence Balcom was an actress. Um, um, uh, so then we have uh, Wilde meets his wife, Constance. And she really, for me, in many ways, I mean, she's, she's an interesting figure, a complex figure. But nonetheless, she's the real heroine of the whole story, I think, of Wilde's life. She's certainly the victim of, of Wilde's selfishness, as are uh, his two sons. Um, it's she that shows the reality of the lifestyle that's sometimes lionized by our do-your-own-thing culture. That uh, Wilde would desert not just his wife, but his two young sons. And the tragedy is that he was very close to his sons. Um, and some of his most charming writing were fairy stories, such as the the, the, the Happy Prince and the Selfish Giant. Um, these wonderful uh, fairy stories, which he wrote for his own children. There's a charming connection here with Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit for his own children in in, in the in, in, uh, initially before it's published. So he we had their stories of, of Wild playing on the on the on the floor of the nursery with his sons and and. Um, this is unusual in Victorian England. You know, normally yeah, the, the, the nurse plays in the nursery with the children. Uh, you know, the Victorian children were to be seen but not heard. And in fact, as often as not, not seen either. They were up in the nursery with nurse and, and, and the parents got on with their own thing. Wilde was actually much more hands-on than many Victorian parents when his, when his boys were very young. And yet he deserts his wife and both his sons to pursue a sordid lifestyle. And we see the beginning of this in uh, as early as his honeymoon. Uh, there's a there's a bad way to start off a marriage. Uh, on it, on their honeymoon in 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 Paris, Wilde picks up a book by a novelist called Joris Colquismans called Arabeau. Uh It's normally translated as Against the Grain or Against Nature. And he's fascinated by this book. In fact, in his own novel, The Picture Dorian Gray, this is clearly the book to, that's being referred to as the Yellow Book, which poisons. Um, Dorian Gray. In, in essence, uh, it really is a, a parable for her own age. In essence, the novel is about um, 
a man who has no connections and unlimited resources. In other words, he's very wealthy and he has no uh, uh, social or, 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 or um, relations with people that prevent him from doing whatever he wants. So he does do whatever he wants. The whole novel is basically a catalogue of sensual self-indulgence. He wants to indulge all of the various senses in any way that he can. So it's almost as if, you know, what ha what would happen if you were completely at liberty to do your own thing? What would happen? Well, at the end of the novel, uh, we have this creed occur, this cry from the heart, from the, from the protagonist of the novel, to a god he doesn't even know exists, asking for help. In other words, the first and worst lie is if we do uh, what we want, we will be happy. Do your own thing and you'll be happy. It's a lie. Um, that if we do our own thing, we become miserable. That those who, who willingly take up their cross uh, and live life, lives of self-sacrificial responsibility end up building loving relationships and are actually much more uh, content than those who refuse to do so. And this actually proved out, it is proven by the author of that book, uh, Huismans. He, his subsequent novels tell the story of someone who descends into the hell of satanic practice, a horrific description of the black mass. Uh, and then in the next book, that, that book's called La Ba, down there. And then the next book's called En Route, On the Way, uh, which is uh, the sort of, so La Ba is like the inferno descending into hell. En Route is like purgatorio, uh, purgatory through suffering and experience moving closer to Christ. And then the third book's called La Cathedral, the cathedral, and it's the conversion of the protagonist. So Huismans uh, ends up spending the last years of his life uh, as a sort of uh, on the edge of a monastery, not never actually becoming a monk, but sort of living in that monastic milieu. The other great leaders of the French decadence, which are very all very influential upon Wilde, Charles Baudelaire, Baudelaire, who wrote a, a volume called Les Fleurs de Mal, The Evil Flowers, the Flowers of Sickness, when those when those poet, when that poetry was published, a critic said there's only one choice left now uh, between uh, for, for Baudelaire. He, he has to choose between either the foot of the cross or the end of the barrel of a gun. So suicide or repentance and conversion. Baudelaire is received into the church on his deathbed. Paul Verlaine, another uh, leader of the French decadence, who uh, well I won't tell you about his sordid lifestyle. Um, but again, he is received into the church in prison and publishes a volume of poetry called Sagesse. And the French de and it, so the French decadent movement was the influence upon Wilde. Wilde becomes the godfather of the English decadent movement. Um, and uh, he ends up in exactly the same place as the leaders of the French decadent movement. Um, and we'll see it perhaps best in his novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray, where... Dorian Gray um, is poisoned by, by the cynical philosophy of Lord Henry Wotton, who tells him that the only thing worth living for is, is beauty and youth. And so Dorian Gray basically sells his soul uh, so, so that the painting of him uh, gets old and shows the ugliness of his sin and he stays young. So he sells his soul for immortal youth and the story then unfolds and at the end, um, we, the, the moral of it is when you kill your conscience, which is what Dorian Gray tries to do in the novel, you end up ultimately killing yourself. Um, so Wilde 
as with the other decadence and just look at some of the other de other leaders of the decadent movement before we come to an end here um is that wild certainly was the leader of the english decadence but other leaders of it um robert ross who's the who's the the person who allegedly introduced wild to the homosexual lifestyle he becomes a catholic and is the only one of wild's friends loyal enough to remain with wild and be there on his deathbed john gray handsome young man who is said to have been the physical model for uh for dorian gray wild's character he does not only just become a catholic but he becomes a catholic priest ernest dowson the decadent artist also becomes a catholic um lionel johnson uh decadent poet becomes a catholic um Ernest Dowson, a wonderful, wonderful poet. Um, he becomes a decadent poet, becomes a Catholic. Even Lord Alfred Douglas, Wilde's nemesis, this narcissistic young man who got Wilde at least partly responsible for Wilde's downfall, he becomes a Catholic. So what we see here, and this is the 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 the, 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 the two paths, if you like, to Christ. Uh, there's the high road of sanctity, and there's the low road of the Mary Magdalene path, if you like, of repentance of the of the miserable sinner, and what's necessary uh, is suffering. And Wild Wild encapsulates this um, in prison uh, when he write the, the the one work he writes when he gets out of prison, the Battle of the Reading Jail. He says, um, "But God's eternal laws are kind, and break the heart of stone. For how else but through a broken heart?" May Lord Christ enter in. Thank you for being with me in this episode of uh, The Authority. We've looked at the uh, the wild life of Oscar Wilde himself and his penitential Mary Magdalene type repentance and conversion at the end. Uh, until next time, thanks so much for joining me. And until then... Goodbye, God bless, and good reading. This has been an episode of The Authority with Joseph Pierce, brought to you by TAN. For updates on new episodes and to support The Authority and other great free content, visit theauthoritypodcast.com to subscribe and use coupon code AUTHORITY25 to get 25% off your next order, including books, audiobooks, and video courses by Joseph Pierce on literary giants such as Tolkien, Chesterton, Lewis, Shakespeare, and Belloc, as well as Tan's extensive catalog of content from the saints and great spiritual masters to strengthen your faith and interior life. To follow Joseph and support his work, Check out his blog and sign up for email updates and exclusive content at jpierce.co. And thanks for listening.